to all of our locations, those worshiping out west, those in our tradition service. So glad that you are here. Uh, just so you know, at the end of the service today, after the worship, at the end of the service, I'm going to come back up and I want to take a few minutes to share some really exciting things regarding the vision of our church, so I don't want you to miss that. After all, everything is awesome, right? Um, that, that, that song we just played uh, was, of course, from uh, the movie, the, the Lego movie. And if you've seen the movie, you know, of course, that while they're singing, everything is awesome, everything is not awesome uh, in reality. And as you know, that's often really the way that we live our lives, isn't it? I mean, we, we put up this front that says everything is awesome, when in reality, it's not. We are in the midst of a teaching series called Taboo, The Things We Don't Talk About. And in this series, we want to address some of those things that we may be struggling with personally, but are afraid to admit. So far in this series, we've talked about depression. We've talked about same-sex attraction. We've talked about loneliness. Well, today, I want us to look at the topic of addiction. Um, What do we do when we're experiencing some sort of addiction? Now, I realize that when 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 I use the word addiction... Most of us probably tend to think to ourselves, that doesn't really apply to me, because we tend to view addiction in a very specific way, a drug or alcohol addiction, someone who's needing treatment. But that, and that's certainly one aspect of addiction, but it's not the only aspect. There is another perspective on addiction that touches all of us in a very direct way, and we find this perspective by looking in the Bible. Even though the specific word addiction is not used in the Bible, the reality of addiction is vividly portrayed. From a biblical perspective, addiction is the natural trajectory of sin in our lives. You see, sin is always wanting to assert more and more control in our lives, whether it's related to money, as in gambling or greed or workaholism, or it's related to lust, as in sexual searches on the internet or adultery or erotic fantasy novels, or whether it's related to some substance like alcohol or drugs or some other behavior like habitual lying or bitterness or jealousy or an obsession with what other people think of us. What often starts as a simple choice to give in to some temptation can very soon become a dominant force in our lives, something that we can no longer control. And that scares us but we don't know what to do about it. And not only that, I'm guessing that for many of us, it's a secret. We we haven't told anyone about it. So we struggle in silence and in secret, wondering, is there any hope for me? 
Well, thankfully there is. The, the Bible provides us a pathway toward reversing the trajectory of sin in our lives. And this pathway is marked by five critical questions that we must be asking ourselves if we want to begin reversing the trajectory of these addictions in our lives. So let's go through these five questions here. Question number one, how miserable do I want to be? How miserable do I want to be? This may sound like a silly question, but it is an absolutely critical question when we're, when we're wanting to look honestly at our addictions. The enemy does not want us asking this question because the way sin works is that it, it looks really appealing to us. In fact, when we give in, it initially feels pleasurable, and that's what gets us hooked, I don't know of anyone who's addicted to getting root canals um, or addicted to getting embarrassed in public, right? We don't, we don't get addicted to things that aren't pleasurable to us in some way. So we give in to this because it feels good. We sin because we want to sin. But there's a problem with this path. Look, look with me at Paul's words in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That sounds a lot like addiction, doesn't it? I want to do what is right, but I don't. I want to do what is good, but I, but I don't do that either. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I end up doing the opposite. And then notice where this leads Paul emotionally. Verse 24, what a miserable person I am. He is in a place of misery, of futility, of despair. See, Paul is battling this sin in his life and the fact that even though he wants to resist, he keeps giving in. Have you ever been there? Sure. I mean, we all have, but, but here's the critical question. How do we respond to being in that place? How do we respond? What's our, here's our typical response. Denial, right? Denial. Ignore the issue. Don't think about it. We rationalize it in all sorts of ways. I, I don't have a problem. I could quit at any time. Oh, everyone is doing this. It's no big deal. See, as, as long as we are responding that way, this addiction, this sin, will continue to gain power in our lives. You see, he, here's what we need to begin reversing the trajectory of this sin in our lives. Misery. Misery. We need a healthy dose of of misery. We need to feel miserable about what's happening. See, this is the first step out of an addiction. It is to realize that this addiction is ruining your life. I remember um, hearing some counselors say that change won't happen in our lives until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. You know, as long as we don't feel miserable about our sin, as long as we keep justifying it or denying that it's a problem, we won't change. And this is why sometimes life has to fall apart before we get serious about our addiction. 
that because of our shopping addiction, we may lose our home. Or, and suddenly we're miserable, right? And that's a good thing, to be miserable. Or, or maybe our wife catches us looking at porn on, on, online, right? And suddenly our sin is exposed. Not only are we embarrassed, but she is hurt beyond description. She is angry and withdraws from us emotionally and physically. So whereas hours before we were okay with our sin, now we feel miserable. And that's a really good thing. Feeling miserable about our sin is a really good thing. Now, now hopefully, we don't wait until we get caught. Hopefully, we don't wait until the addiction is so far down the road that we've lost all sorts of things in our lives before we wake up. Hopefully, we begin to feel miserable in the fact that this sin is exerting more and more control over us. We can't stop, and that scares us, and it should this is, again, this is a good place to be. If we're a little scared, if we're miserable, it's a really good place to be. Because it should scare us that this sin is fully intent on ruining your life and mine. Destroying our relationships, our vocation, robbing us of joy. The sooner we realize that, the better. Because then we will start getting serious about this sin. How miserable do we want to be? Critical question number two. What am I thirsty for? What am I thirsty for? This is a really important question to ask because what we often don't realize is that our addictions, these besetting sins that we struggle with, these addictions are often rooted in something deeper than the behavior itself. There's a sin beneath the sin. That There's a sin beneath the behavior. And this is why just saying no doesn't work. This is why willpower doesn't cut it when we're dealing with these kinds of things. It doesn't work. So we wonder to ourselves, why can't I stop this? I know it's wrong. I know it's destroying my life. Why can't I stop it? There's a really powerful picture of this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God is describing what is happening with his people. And he, and he, and he, and he says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. And that is such a vivid picture of how sin works in our lives, right? God is the stream of living water for us. He is this incredible stream of living water. He is everything we need. He is our life. He is our joy. He is our love. He is our identity. He is this constant stream of life, right? But what do we do? Instead of going to that stream of God, we try and build our own cisterns. We try to build our own water containers, right? And yet our cisterns are broken so they can't hold water. It is totally irrational. <laughs> Don't go to the stream, go to this broken cistern. It's totally irrational, but we do it all the time. See, the truth is, we're thirsty. We are thirsty for love. We're thirsty for affirmation. We are thirsty for meaning. And so often we choose not to go to God with that. We choose these other things. We turn to other things. Now, why do we do that? It's because we're broken. We're broken cisterns. 
So often this brokenness is rooted in our past. Maybe we grew up in a home where we, we felt the sting of rejection or the pain of, of, of you know, never, have, never being able to mess up or whatever. Even though we thirst for love and affirmation, we, don't, we, we didn't receive it, right? And so then we grow into adulthood. As we grow into adulthood, we tend to stuff those emotions because they're just too painful. But they're there, whispering to our soul, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. You are not loved Okay, so here we are. We're thirsty for love and affirmation. Where do we turn? There are all sorts of options, right? Some of us choose to give our bodies away sexually because in that moment, we feel loved. But of course, that quickly disappears because the person goes on their way, but we keep craving that momentary quenching of our thirst So we become addicted to sexual encounters with people. Or we turn to internet porn, right? In these images, we find a sensation of being wanted, of being loved without having to work at it. Or maybe we turn to work and we become this workaholic trying to prove that we're somebody. Or maybe we turn to alcohol to numb the pain of our loneliness or our emptiness. In in all of these cases, it, it, it doesn't really help to say to ourselves, just say no. Stop doing that. I mean, that's like trying to put a a Band-Aid on on cancer. What we need is to stop and ask, what am I really thirsty for? Why am I doing this? What's driving this? What am I really thirsty for? When I sleep around, when when I engage in sexual fantasy, when I keep buying things, when I gamble way too much, when I drink too much, what am I really thirsty for in that moment? Well, that leads then to a third critical question. Where is Jesus in this struggle? See, look with me again at Romans 7, where Paul is describing this very real battle he he has with regard to sin. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, there is only one answer to help us in our addictions, in our sins. The answer is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. We have to come to this place of realizing that in our own power, we cannot beat this thing. And in that place of weakness and thirst, we look to Jesus. We direct our desires, our our, our heart focus, our love upon him. And and, and this is so, it's so important for me to unpack this because a lot of times we know this answer. I mean, you're in church, right? I mean, we're in church. Usually in church, if you don't know the answer, go with Jesus. That's usually a good, uh, a good option. But, but a lot of us don't really see Jesus in a way that's very helpful here. We see Jesus as the policeman ready to arrest us when we sin. Or we see Jesus, right, the, the angry coach who is disappointed in our performance. Or we see Jesus as this holy, distant, religious figure, you know, too holy to hang out with us. But that's not the Jesus that Paul saw. The Jesus that Paul saw was looking towards. That's not him. Listen to how, as Paul describes the Jesus who rescues him from this miserable place of addiction. Right after talking about what a miserable person I am and how Jesus rescues him, Paul says this. Listen very carefully. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body 
like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. What is he saying there? It's it's fascinating. No condemnation for those who belong to, to Jesus Christ. No condemnation. In other words, no scowling from him. No distance. So how could that be? How can that be? Paul tells us the reason there is no condemnation is because Jesus did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. He perfectly followed the law. We didn't. He perfectly followed the law. He lived a sinless life, and then he gave his life for us as a sacrifice for our sins. So when we place our trust in him, we become the recipients of his love. He gives us his very own spirit to live in us and empower us to live differently. So back to this question, where is Jesus in our struggle? He is with us. He is loving us. He is able to satisfy our thirst for love and affection and affirmation. But it is essential that we see him in this way. That we see him the way Paul saw him. So often in the midst of our addictions, we feel ashamed, right? We feel like failures. And when we focus on that, it leads us right back into our sin. I'm such a mess up. I'm a failure. I mean, at that moment, porn or alcohol or whatever looks really appealing. We, we use those things to numb our pain, and it just drives us deeper into our addiction and into our shame. So again, the only way off the addictive cycle is to welcome the love of Jesus into our addiction. To welcome his love into our addiction. This is so counterintuitive, and yet it is so crucial. The only way we'll be able to begin to break our addiction is by realizing we are totally, absolutely loved by Jesus. That he loves us no matter what. Now, I know, I know this is so counterintuitive. I know that talking about this kind of love makes a lot of Christians really nervous, right? If you only talk about God's love, it will just encourage the addiction. That's what we think, right? But that's not true. The only thing powerful enough to break our addiction is real love. Remember, addictions are rooted in a pursuit of looking for love in all the wrong places, right? That's what addiction is rooted in. That's what we're thirsty for. So it makes sense that real love would be the key to freeing us from our addictions. When we know Jesus loves us just the way we are, it makes us want to be free from these addictions that are destroying our lives. It's a want to. It makes us want to want him more than any other thing in our lives. Which leads to critical question number four. What am I thinking about? What am I thinking about? Right after Paul describes this amazing love that we have in Christ, he then says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 5. See, Paul is talking here about living out the reality of what Christ has done. And and, and he mentions a, a key part of that. 
Our thinking. What do we think about? What do we set our minds upon? This is so huge and it's something we so easily forget. Our mind is a battlefield. Our mind is a battlefield. The enemy isn't able to force us to sin, right? So what does he do? He puts thoughts in our head. Hey, you ought to go do a Google search on this word. Or you really need a, a drink right now. Or why don't you go drive by, drive by so-and-so's apartment and, and, and see how they're doing. He wants us to start thinking about our sinful desires rather than thinking about Jesus and all he has done for us. Now often, especially as it relates to addictions, our thinking patterns become deeply ingrained. They, they form a rut in our minds. You know how a rut works. Water flows in a particular place, and all of a sudden it, it starts kind of a rut, and the more water flows, it automatically goes to that rut, and the rut just gets deeper and deeper. That's what happens in our brain. That's what happens in our mind. The, these ruts are created by r- repeated patterns of thinking. It creates a rut, and the Bible actually has a word for this rut. The Bible calls it a stronghold. A stronghold. See, a stronghold is a, is a pattern of thinking that has become so deeply rooted in us, it's our default. We always go there. It's like a rut. That's where the water always flows. A stronghold is just like that. It's the, these thoughts that become our default. I, I always give in, right? I'm such a loser or whatever. We, we, all, we know these, these thoughts, these strongholds that are developed over time. So how do we tear down a stronghold like that? Well, Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 6, listen to this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, notice he's saying these strongholds are established in our minds. They're in our ways of thinking. These ruts get established there. So how do we tear down these strongholds, these fortresses, these patterns of thinking that the enemy has helped build over time? Paul says, by taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we start building a new rut. Because if you have two ruts, where does the water go? To the deepest rut. Right? So we just got to build a deeper rut. And we do that in our minds. We start building a new way of thinking so that this new way of thinking becomes our default. And, and he tells us how to do that. When any thought comes into our head, we take it captive. We take it captive. In other words, we, we, we stop and evaluate to see if it's of Christ or not. And if it's not, if it's not of him, we reject it. And we choose to think new thoughts, thoughts that are true, biblical thoughts, thoughts, uh, godly thoughts. For instance, old thought, maybe you always give in, you know, why don't you go ahead and just do it anyway, you know, those kinds of patterns. Here's a new, new thought. Those things will not bring me life. They will just bring me more under their power. And the spirit of God lives in me. Greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. That's a new way of thinking. Establishing a new rut, a good rut. Remember, Paul says here, the mind set on the flesh is death. 
but the mindset on the spirit is life. Our mindset matters. What we think about matters, especially as it relates to our addictions. So worship can be a really helpful aspect of this. Worship music, really powerful tool to help that we can use to help us fix our minds on Jesus rather than just always defaulting to our old patterns of thinking that we've had. It's a critical part of breaking the power of addictions in our lives. It's what we think about. Well, let me mention one more question that is so important for us to help reverse the trajectory of addictions in our lives. Critical question number five, who have I enlisted to join me in this battle? Who have I enlisted to join me in this battle? Anyone who has overcome some addiction will tell you, you cannot do this alone. You cannot do it alone. You need friends walking alongside of you, encouraging you, praying for you, holding you accountable. We need each other. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in the the, the sins that, that I battle with is that the further I go into the sin, the more isolated I want to be. The further we go into an addiction, the less we want to be around people, the less we want to connect deeply with loved ones. See, addictions pull us into this vortex of self-absorption. That's where, we, that's where they take us. They pull us into this vortex of self-absorption. We don't want to be around other people. And we certainly don't want to talk to anyone about our struggles, right? We, we isolate. And Satan loves that. He loves that. Because it makes us a really easy target. So it is critically important that we intentionally invite others to join with us in our battle. For some of us, the main reason that we're continuing down a path of addiction is because it's still a secret. It's the main reason that we're continuing down this path. It's still a secret. We haven't told anyone. I guarantee as long as you keep this a secret sin, it will eat your lunch. As long as we keep it a secret, it will eat our lunch. Find someone, a trusted friend, take them out to coffee and share your struggle, asking them to hold you accountable and and pray for you. And if someone comes to you for that, what they don't need is lectures. What they need is your love and your encouragement, your willingness to pray for them and to regularly ask them how they're doing. Now, let me, let me also mention that sometimes going to a Christian counselor can be extremely helpful. A few years ago, I was struggling with an area in my life. I felt so hopeless about it. And thankfully, I started seeing a Christian counselor who really helped me see what I was thirsty for, to see what I was really thirsty for and how to welcome Jesus into those places of shame. It was incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful for me. So if you're struggling with some sin and you feel its power growing in you, I would encourage you to enlist the support of a friend and to perhaps enlist the help of a counselor if you sense that this may be rooted in some issue in your past. So here's the the bottom line. Sin leads to death. If left unattended, If ignored or denied, it will continue to take more and more control in your life. 
robbing you of life and joy and relationships. But there is a way off the cycle of addiction. It's not easy. It will require honesty and intentionality, but the end result is freedom. As a fellow struggler, I can say with absolute conviction, walking in freedom is way more fun and joy-filled and life-giving than being controlled by sin. There is no comparison. We have the choice of which path we will choose. We have the choice. Let's pray together. Father, you know our need. And Holy Spirit, I I welcome you right now to come and to minister here. Lord, you've been speaking. Each one of these questions has probably resonated with something in our lives. Father, for some of us here, what some of us here need is a wake-up call from you. We need to see how this sin is robbing us of life. And so we pray, and I don't think I've ever prayed this before, we pray for the gift of misery. We pray that we would be miserable in our sin and that we would be miserable sooner than later before it destroys things in our lives. We would see this sin for what it's doing. And we would realize that at a heart level. Others of us here, Lord, we we need to look below the surface and we we need to discover what we're really thirsty for. And so I want to pray for that. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us see the connection between these behaviors and and maybe our longing for affirmation, our insecurity, our, 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 our need for, in fact, whatever that happens to be, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what we're really thirsty for. And then to welcome you into that place. We welcome you into that place, Lord Jesus, into that thirst. We're tired of just trying to fill these broken cisterns. We want to drink from the stream of living water. So help us do that. And Lord, there are some of us here, probably all of us here, in some level, we need your help in tearing down strongholds in our minds these ruts that we've established over, over years, perhaps, these ruts of shame and failure and, and feeling distant from you, just these patterns of thinking, we pray you would help us tear down those strongholds by taking every thought captive and building new ruts based upon the truth of your word, your love for us. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, we need your help in doing that. And Lord, others of us here, What we need is to bring this sin out into the open. We need to bring this secret out into the open and and invite someone, a friend, someone to join with us in this battle. And so I pray for that. I pray for every one of us to have a friend to join with us in whatever we're battling. And I pray for the courage to go to these people, go to this person and just ask them to be a part of our team We pray for that, Lord. 
Now, what we need most of all, Lord, what we need most of all is to see Jesus in our struggle, to open our hearts to the sufficiency of your sacrifice, Jesus, to welcome your love into our places of brokenness and shame and failure. And so we do that right now. We welcome you. You know, for some of you here, and you can just keep your head bowed for a moment, but for some of you here, this may be the first time there's an important step you need to take if you want to welcome Jesus into these places. See, for some of you, you you have thought that having a relationship with God is about trying to be a good person. And so go to church when you can and read your Bible when you can or do all these things and hopefully God will accept you if your good deeds outweigh your bad. It doesn't work that way. As Paul says in Romans 8, I read it earlier, Jesus came to save us from our sins. It's not about us cleaning up our lives. It's about us trusting in the work of Christ who died on the cross in our place. So the way into a relationship with God is not by working harder. It's by placing your trust in Jesus. And there are some of you here and you perhaps have never done that. You're still trying to work, try to be a good person so God will accept you. Man, I'm telling you, you can get off that treadmill. God wants you to get off that treadmill and trust his son, Jesus. Let him save you. So if there's anyone here and you'd like to receive Jesus, you would like to enter into this relationship with Jesus through faith, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And in doing so, what you're doing is inviting Jesus into your life inviting his love into your life. You're turning from your sin and you're opening your heart to Jesus, admitting your need of him. So let me lead you in a prayer. If this is the desire of your heart, please pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not, I'm a sinner. (laughs) And I realize there is nothing I can do, no matter how often I go to church, no matter what good things I do, there's nothing I can do to bridge this gap because you're holy and I'm not. But I believe that Jesus, you sent your son Jesus to die in my place. Jesus, you lived a sinless life and then you laid down your life for me as a sacrifice for my sin. And I am choosing right now to place my trust in you alone. I bring to you my failures, my sins, my fears, my doubts. I bring it all to you. And I open my heart to receive you forgive my sin, past, present, and future, and come live in me forever. Change me from the inside out through the power of your love. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in their relationship with you. Help them grow. And I pray for all of us, Lord. We we need a fresh look at our Savior. We're we're tired of just filling these broken cisterns. We want the stream of living water. We need you, Jesus. We welcome you, Jesus, into our shame, into our failure, into our brokenness, into our addictions. We welcome you through the power of your love to transform us from the inside out. Now, we're going to do this welcoming of Jesus in a very tangible way by partaking of the Lord's Supper. 
So at all of our campuses, if ushers, if you would come forward, but please don't pass the elements out yet, but if you would come forward and just wait up front here, that would be great. I want to give some instructions before the ushers distribute the elements. What we're going to do in just a moment as the ushers pass these around, we'll, we'll, um, if you're at West Campus, you all are using the all-in-ones, and so you'll take one of those out as the tray goes by and hold on to that. At 15th Street, we have two stacked cups. And so as the tray goes by, take one of those. It'll have uh, two cups. Take one out of that stack. Take that out and hold on to it. And then I'm going to come back up in a a couple minutes when everyone is served, and we're going to partake together of the bread and then the juice. While um, we are, these elements are being distributed, I encourage you just to reflect upon Jesus, what an awesome Savior he is, just to be welcoming him into your places of shame, into your places of failure. That's what he died for. That's what he died for. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts now as we reflect. We welcome you here. Okay, ushers, if you would pass the elements out.